American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time of my life when the words all come down like blues on Tuesday. All right, you ready to start? Yeah. Okay. Welcome to another episode of American, American Timelines. Time I'm Amy. And I am Grover, Cleveland Steamer. Well, he's back. Yes. I'm. Am I a president or am I a pile of poop? You don't know because I'm Grover, Cleveland Steamer. And this is the podcast that brings you all the interesting nostalgic events from the past. And we do it year by year. And they're not really interesting. Yeah, they are. Maybe they're nostalgic. And uh, what? They're odd stories, weird stories, <laughs> stories to make you just go, things that make you go, hmm. Remember right. that song? All right. So we're talking about 1961. Yes. We've already started 1961. We're going to go ahead and continue. We left off in the end of March. Uh, April was about to start, I believe. Um, and uh, we'll just we'll just cut some of the bullshit and just jump right into it. Good. Some of you... I know you get upset, and you're like, get on with it, you fucking assholes. I am one that gets upset. I hear you, people. I hear you. We can hear you. Just so you know, when you're listening to this podcast, we can hear you. All right. Get you moving. think you can't, but technology is actually secretly changed, and not we just didn't tell the consumer. We can hear you. We get can hear your moving. thoughts. No, it's thought police. Come we can on. hear you. We need the listeners to know. So we left off on Wednesday, March 29th, 1961. Uh I don't know if you know what the Twenty Third Amendment to the Constitution is. Do you know? I don't. Miss Constitution. I don't expert? know. No, I don't know which one the Twenty Third Amendment is. Well, it was it was passed on Wednesday, March 29th, nineteen sixty one, and this this amendment extends the right to vote in presidential elections to citizens residing in the District of Columbia. Oh, that's right. I thought they still didn't have the right to vote. No, the amendment grants the district electors and the electoral college as though it were a state. Uh, Though the district can never have more electors than the least populous state. The 23rd Amendment was ratified by the requisite number of states on March 29th, 1961. Haven't you always heard that? You always heard that. No. That if you live in Washington, D.C., you don't vote. No. God, I don't know. Somebody lied to me one time. Yeah, I think maybe you were reincarnated from somebody maybe born I before was. 1961. That's that's probably the more likely scenario. Yeah, it's probably that you have the brain. You were had a brain transplant. Mm-hmm. I might have. Yeah. That's All right. Probably it. All right. What's next? Monday, April third, nineteen sixty-one. We have a new number one song on the U.S. Billboard charts weekly okay. top whatever charts. Mm-hmm. The Marcells. I don't know them. Blue Moon. Yep. Blue Moon. What? These guys were a doo-wop group, mm-hmm. and they recorded this uh, this for their album, Blue Moon. 
1961, the Marcells had three songs left to record and needed one more. Producer Stu Phillips did not like any of the other songs, except one that had the same chord changes as Heart and Soul and Blue Moon. Mm -hmm. He asked them if they knew either, and one knew Blue Moon, and taught it to the others. The famous introduction to the song, was an excerpt of an original song that the group had already in its act. Oh. But in August 1961, due to racial problems encountered while touring in the Deep South because of the group being multiracial... The group's two white members, Richard Naus and Gene Bickler, left and were, were replaced by Alan Johnson, brother of Fred, and Walt Maddox. Did you know so that they was couldn't be they couldn't be a mixed no. group, so they had to make it all black. Yeah. Did you even know that there were white guys in this? In I don't that? know if I've ever seen the Marcells. Yeah, I don't think I did either, but I didn't know there was they were mixed. Yeah, I, I, I don't when I think of those kinds of bands, I don't ever think of a mixed group of races. It's yeah. either they're all white or they're all black. Right. And that's just the way it was. Because that's the way it was, and we liked it. And we didn't love it. No. It was terrible. That's, uh, we're founded on a, on hate. True. Hate of differences. But luckily, the the one person who finally came through and united everyone came through and united the races mm-hmm. the one superhuman you know who i'm talking about no i don't everybody knows what i'm talking about i don't know what you're talking about mark curry hanging with mr cooper okay can we move on yeah that was the sorry that's what united the races that show uh and then wednesday april 12th 1961 mm-hmm. the soviet union launched the first spacecraft to take a man into space Okay. The Vostok 1, carrying Yuri Alexeyevich Gagarin. Gagarin. Good. <laughs> you nailed right. that. You know what? That's I am good. an expert pronouncer. Pronunciator. Pronunciator. That was really good. So, yes. Would they be, they did that before The Russians we did. were the first in the space. Yeah. But here's, I hate to be a conspiracy theorist and this whole, oh, no billion on the moon stuff, but. It's hard for me to believe when you think back to how awful the technology was in 1960. Like, that they could do that, could they? Go to the moon? Yeah. I, yeah. Knobs and buttons. Like, like think of a main, like, a, like the size of a mainframe computer is now like in a thumb, like something right. as big as my thumb. Because they were so, I don't know, not advanced. How could right. they do that? Could they really? Well, they could fly. I mean, they had airplanes, so they just had to make a super airplane kind of thing, I don't right? Know, maybe. I don't know. I still, I still stare out the window. Of I airplanes. think we I'm did like, it. How does that work? We did it because we would have done it since. I think they would have been doing it, try, still trying to go, like if they hadn't. Yeah, went like, to the moon. Yeah. I mean, everybody lost interest in it because it's not been done. Right. I mean, they may have, but maybe they would have had to keep it secret for the first time, maybe. I don't know. It just still seems like the technology is so scary. But, you know, like I was going to say, I still look out the window of a plane and I can't figure out, like, how, yeah. how is this really happening? How are we right. really doing this? Right, I know. I think the only logical explanation, because I'm not so smart, mm-hmm. the only logical explanation Gremlins. Is, Gremlins in the plane. 
No, I think it's more of we're living in a simulation. It could be. Nothing's real. Thursday, April 13th, 1961, the mm-hmm. third annual Grammy Awards. Okay. They were uh, they were held at Los Angeles and New York. The Grammys, okay. The Grammys. They recognized musical accomplishments by the performers for the year 1960. Ray Charles won four awards, and Bob Newhart and Henry Mancini each won three awards. Bob Newhart? A Bob Grammy? Newhart, yeah. For oh, for comedy. Comedy album, probably. Yeah. Uh, the host, do you want to guess who the host was? The Grammys? 1961, the Grammys? Well, you'd have to give me a clue. Okay, your clue is, I picked the wrong day to stop sniffing glue. Lloyd Bridges? Was Lloyd Bridges. Is there Lloyd Bridges? Lloyd Bridges hosted the Grammys <laughs> for some reason. You impressed that I got that? Yeah. A little bit. You have to give me a little credit I didn't think you knew that line. Yep, I know them all. I know them all. What movie is that from? Airplane. Right. It's so funny. I, I let Henry watch that. And how do airplanes work? And we get back to that. Monday, April 17th, mm-hmm. 1961, the 33rd Academy Awards. Okay. Oh, so I don't know if I know, mentioned that. The, those were only the third Grammy Awards in 1961. There was only for oh, three. Oh, really? But this is the 33rd Academy Awards. Okay. Honoring the best in film for 1960, it was held at the Santa Monica Civica Auditorium. Santa Monica Civic Auditorium in Santa Monica. Santa Monica. <laughs> Santa Monica. I can't say anything. I can't say any words. Santa Monica, California. <laughs> like Santa Monica. <laughs> <laughs> That's not that funny. Who, who were they hosted by, do you think? Uh, Santa Monica. Lloyd Bridges is to this person. Yeah. As, uh, another Grammy host is to another. That is not a clue of <laughs> yeah, any sort. All right, this guy is dead. Okay, that's the first clue. He's dead. Yeah. You want to ask 20 questions It's a guy about? and he's dead. It's a male, a dead male. Rock Hudson. Nope. Okay. Bob Hope. Again? Yeah. Oh, I should have guessed that. I think that. he hosted like every year. Yeah. This was the first ceremony to be aired on ABC television, which has aired the Academy Awards ever since. Oh. Except. Who cares? Except for the years between 1971 and 75 when they were on NBC. Who cares about that? Uh, the Apartment was the last black and white film to win Best Picture until Schindler's List. Oh. In 1993. That's interesting. Yep. Gary Cooper was selected by the Academy Board of Governors to be the year's recipient of the Academy Honorary Award for his many memorable screen performances. And the international recognition he, an individual, has gained for the motion picture industry. Unfortunately, Gary Cooper was too ill to to attend the ceremony. So Gary Coleman. No, that is not true. (laughs) No, that's not true. Uh, uh, But his condition was not publicly disclosed. uh, And at the awards, James Stewart. A close friend of Cooper accepted the honorary Oscar on his behalf. Okay. Stewart's emotional speech hinted that something was seriously wrong. Oh. And the next day, newspapers ran the headline, Gary Cooper has cancer. Less than four weeks later, on May 13, 1961, six days after his 60th birthday, Gary Cooper died. Poor Gary Cooper. And I 
we'd like to take a moment of silence the rest of the podcast. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do that. Uh, silent podcast. For Gary Cooper? For Gary Cooper. No, we're not doing I bet, that. I bet there's no other podcast that are doing moments of silence for Gary You're Cooper. Probably, well, there probably is. Well there's, well, there's that one podcast, the Gary Cooper Moment of Silence podcast. That's right. Where it's all just moments all of silence is. the whole time. And then uh, I think that brings uh, me to your story. You have a story for us. Oh, I just have a I have April the short 18th. one. Yes. So Thursday, April 18th, 1961. Time approximately 11 a.m. Joe Simonton was attracted outside by a peculiar noise. Wait, wait. He was attractive and he went outside? No, he, or was, he was attracted oh. to a peculiar noise. Now, he was an attractive guy, though, too, right? No, he was an old chicken farmer. Okay. <laughs> an old chicken farmer named Joe what? Simonton. Wait, are you are you insinuating that old chicken farmers can't be attractive? I am insinuating that, in fact. You know what? All the old chicken farmers that are listening to this podcast are offended right now. Yeah, they probably are. And they're so never going to listen to He again. hears a peculiar noise similar to knobby tires on a wet pavement, is oh, what he said. knobby tires on a wet pavement. Okay. Stepping into his yard, he faced a silvery saucer-shaped object, brighter than chrome. Whoa. Which appeared to be hovering close to the ground without actually touching it. Wow, that's crazy. A UFO. The object was about 12 feet high and 30 feet in diameter, which wow. I have no point of reference for, personally. I'll just picture three basketball hoops. Why do you always do down? basketball hoops? Because they're 10 feet. That's the only thing I know. <laughs> that's the only thing you know. Because it sucks because it's up and down, so it's a bad one to use. Because you always have to say, they're laying down. Okay, how about Andre the Giant was 7 feet 4. So... Picture how many seven feet. Oh, this, why does this always turn into a math podcast? <laughs> Welcome to the math podcast. The, the accidental many, math podcast. How many Andre the Giants can fit in a UFO? The object. Okay. Simonton saw three men inside the machine. Oh, men. One of them. Oh, a hatch was opened. Forgot about that Ooh, part. A hatch was opened. About five UFO. feet from the ground and he saw three men inside. One of them was dressed in a black two-piece suit. Okay. The occupants were about five feet in height. Oh, they were short guys. Yep. Smooth shaven. Appeared okay. to resemble Italians, is what he said. <laughs> <laughs> a UFO carrying short Italians. A bunch yep. of Joe Pesci's. I, that makes you think, wonder what he really thinks of Italians. Uh, well, you just called him Italian, so let's see. Well, that's his, it's his, uh, that's how I picture him saying it. Well, now he saw this the same day that The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis was on. The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis. You remember that show? No. The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis starring uh, Bob Denver, who was... Gilligan. And oh, I, I kind of, I, I had never seen this, but I well, On I, that episode, after getting his beard caught in his rifle's bolt release, Maynard is ordered to shave off the offending fuzz. Because that's hilarious. Yeah. He almost shot himself in the face. He got his beard stuck in his gun, so he had to shave he his beard He almost just shot him, his blew his head off. Yeah. It's hilarious. That happened the same time this guy sees these Italians in a UFO. And they had dark hair and skin and wore outfits with turtleneck tops and knit helmets. Ah, knit, <laughs> knit helmets? Yeah. <laughs> well, that, by definition, that is not a helmet. No, that's a beanie. <laughs> yeah, that is a, that is a stocking cap. Yeah. That is a toboggan, as some people call it. One of the men held up a jug apparently made of the same material as the saucer. Okay. His motions to Joe Simonton seemed to indicate that he needed water. Si- oh, Simonton so took the jug, went inside the house, and filled it. Oh, he filled it up with water for him? Okay. As he returned, he saw one of the men inside the saucer was frying food on a flameless grill of some sort. Wow. 
The interior of the ship was black, the color of wrought iron. Simonton, who could see several in instrument panels, heard a slow whining sound similar to the hum of a generator. Okay. When he made a motion indicating he was interested in the food that was being prepared, one of the men, who was also dressed in black but with a narrow red trim along the trousers, Ooh, handed him three cookies about three inches in diameter and perforated with small holes. Oh, nice. Delicious space cookies. The whole affair had lasted about five minutes. Finally, the man close, closest to the witness attached a kind of belt to a hook in his clothing and closed the hatch in such a way that Simonton could scarcely detect its outline. Ah. Then the object rose about 20 feet from the ground before taking off straight south, causing a blast of air that bowed some nearby pine trees. Wow. Yep. When two deputies sent by Sheriff Schroeder, who had known Simonton for 14 years, arrived on the scene, they could not find any corroboration. Oh, I hate this word. Corroborative. Corroborative evidence. Corroborative. The, the sheriff affirmed that the witness obviously believed the truth of what he was saying and yeah. talked very sensible about the incident. And now didn't, and those were, I saw another thing where they said they were pancakes. Pancakes. Yeah. yeah. And so. This he, said cookies, but the, yeah, they, they, uh, the picture, it looks like a, kind of like a burned pancake or something. Yeah. And, and uh, he said he tasted it. And it, tastes, and it tastes like cardboard. It tastes like cardboard dirt. Uh, and there's a, there's a YouTube video. If you look this guy up on YouTube. Yeah. You can see actually the guy and he holds up the pancake. Oh, he holds it up. He, holds, he still has it. it. Yeah. You can see, well, it's, it's a black and white. Film. Yeah. That's it's right. Some footage from 1960s. Um, oh. But the guy's describing it. And you can you, there's a video of him on YouTube. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I, I'm I'm surprised you didn't do that research. I would <laughs> think, uh, you know, you were taking this podcast seriously that you would have done that. Well, but, I, that was just a side project. Yeah, so that was originally going to be mine, and Amy couldn't find a good. Uh, I still couldn't find a really good one. So or anything. We'll so see I how gave it goes. That story, assuming she would do that, put in the time. But all right, uh, move on. Only one of us is dedicated to our listeners. I'm starting to get irritated. Our William, old chicken farmer on? listeners. I am the true American Timelines host for the old chicken farmers. All right, that's they, fine. You don't like them or find them attractive, but I find them very attractive. Okay. I would do it with them. Okay. And then April 24th, 1961, we have another new number one single on the Billboard charts, Del Shannon. The song is called Traveling Man Runaway Oh Runaway Oh I know this one You know this It was written by Del Shannon And keyboardist Max Crook Yeah And became a major International hit It's a good one It's got a real funky Part in the middle It does So we'll keep yeah. it on For a little bit yeah, I don't know what instrument it is, but... Singer-guitarist Charles Westover and keyboard player Max Crook performed together as members of Charlie Johnson and the Big Little Show Band mm -hmm. in Battle Creek, Michigan. Okay. Before their group won a recording contract in 1960. Yeah. Westover took the new stage name Del Shannon and Crook, who had invented his own clavioline-based electric keyboard... That's, that's called, what you'll hear. ...called a Musitron. Yeah. He became Maximilian. It's a musitron. The, the musitron is what is what it does in the middle okay, of the song. Let's listen for it. Here it comes. The musitron. 
It's pretty snazzy. It's an electric keyboard called a Musitron. Okay. What do you think about that? I, I don't know. I don't really... I, it means nothing to me. It means nothing to you. Do you like it or is it repellent? Uh, I don't really care about it. Okay. This song was doing okay, but on April 10th, Shannon appeared on Dick Clark's American Bandstand, mm-hmm. helping to catapult this song to number one on the Billboard Hot 100, okay. where it remained for four weeks. I guess I should stop it now. Yeah. I don't know. I don't hate that song, but I don't. I don't particularly care for well, it. You don't like '60s music. Well, you don't know that. That's going to be the problem. Just so far, I don't. Yeah. I mean, this is 1961. Keep in mind, it's just the beginning. You're going to hate '50s music. You know what? I want a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's what will make you feel old. I was I was thinking about this today. The what you know, we were born in the '70s, so. Uh, and our kids were born in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. So to our kid, the 80s is to our kids what the 50s were to us. Like when the, yeah. we talk about the 80s, they, that their same frame of reference is what we think of as the, the, 50s. the 50s. Right. Which makes me feel super old. Because yeah. the 50s are like fucking forever, like olden times. Yes. And, the and that's 80s what they we think of the 80s. Through. Yeah. And they think the 80s is olden times. Yeah. I don't know. It's just a weird thing I just thought of. It is weird, honey. Thanks. Friday, May 5th, 1961. Mm-hmm. The United States launches its first man into space. Alan Shepard on the Freedom 7. All right. I didn't know that was the name. Was I'm thinking race. of Neil Armstrong. This is just into space, not to not the moon. Not on the moon. Just into okay. space. Alan Bartlett Shepard. I don't think I've ever heard that Junior. Name. Alan Bartlett Shepard Jr. was deal. born on November 18, 1923 in Derry, New Hampshire to Alan B. Shepard Sr. and Pauline Renza Shepard. He had a younger sister, Pauline, who was known as Polly, mm-hmm. and he was one of many famous descendants of the Mayflower passenger, Richard Warren. Okay. His father, Alan B. Shepard Sr., known as Bart, worked in the Derry National Bank, owned by Shepard's grandfather. Okay. Yep. Who cares? Just a little bit about that guy, because I knew you would have no idea who he was. And then on Saturday, May 6, 1961, mm-hmm. Back won the Kentucky Derby. What? Back. Oh, we're talking about the Kentucky Derby again. Kentucky Derby. Stop. He's Amy's favorite thing. All right, what's next? And then Monday... Mm-hmm. May twenty second, nineteen sixty one. We have a little bit of a novelty song. I don't. Oh. I don't know if it's. It doesn't say it's a novelty song, but I think it is. So you be the judge. Here it is. Ernie K. Doe, mother in law. Jeez. The worst person I know. <laughs> Jeez. Sent from, from down, down below. below. Just from hell. <laughs> <laughs> Should I play this for your mom? Yeah. Uh, Satan should be her name. Satan should be her name. Jeez. <laughs> 
God. <laughs> this this guy hated his mother-in-law. Yeah. He really hated her. She's a bitch. <laughs> it's so funny. You should play this for my mom, too. Yeah. After several unsuccessful takes, uh, Toussaint, who's the guy who wrote this, mm-hmm. he balled up the composition and threw it away as he was leaving the room. One of the backup singers, Willie Harper, thought it was such a good song that he convinced K. Doe to give it one more try. Ernie mm. K. Doe is who's saying this. Okay. And I guess his real name was something Toussaint. Alrighty. Pretty entertaining. Yeah. Okay. It's probably good. I know you want to listen to the whole yeah, thing. I just want but... to hear what else he says. But uh, May 24th, 1961. Short of cash, two hellbound AWOL soldiers propped open the hood of their stolen Dodge on Highway 40 in the high plains of western Kansas and waited for a sucker to stop. All right, so it was a trick. The doomed Samaritan proved to be Otto Ziegler, 62, a Union Pacific Roadmaster who was out checking tracks in his yellow company truck. Out checking tracks? Yeah, whatever that means. The young men (laughs) flagged him down and begged a ride to town, a broken gas line, they claimed. Once inside Ziegler's pickup, they pulled their pistols out. Uh Uh-oh, this is a stick-up, see? Oh, that's the kind of boys you are, the railroader told them, according to the Kansas court records. He didn't know the half of it. The robbers were George York, 18, of Jacksonville, Florida, okay. and James Lathan, 19, of Mauriceville, Texas. They're just kids. They had met at, uh, pr- as privates at Fort Hood, Texas, okay. and they bonded over a chronic tendency to go AWOL. Oh, boy. They had an excuse. York and Lathan saw themselves as proud sons of Dixie, who simply could not bear to share their barracks with black soldiers. Ah. Uh. So, their peers and supervisors, on the other hand, viewed them as un as umbrage viewed their umbrage as ordinary ignorance and shiftlessness so they viewed their umbrage as what as just being ignorant and shiftless like lazy they're yeah. just idiots basically they just kind of umbrage wrote them off that's definitely not your term no umbrage. it was a it was a copy and paste is there you want to put a little more spotlight on that a little spotlight on that did you want to give a reference then you got this from what website I don't remember. Oh, <laughs> stole it from the internet. That's right. It was umbridge, public y'all. domain. All, All right. you have to do is start saying umbridge a lot, and everyone will be fine. On May 24th, 1961. Oh. Is it something you have or no? Nope. May 24th, 1961. Okay. York and Latham deserted for the last time. They set out for York's Florida hometown. Oh, it's the same time that Danger Man was on and Hawaiian Eye. Hawaiian Eye again. Again. Love Peter that. Loves Mary. And The Price is Right was on primetime. God, that fucking show's old. 8.30 p.m. Jesus. Yeah, the Price is fucking <laughs> right. Jeez. Uh, somewhere along the way, they morphed into indiscriminate killers. Oh, they morphed, huh? Two days into the trip, they bludgeoned Edward Guidro to near death in Louisiana, then uh. stole his truck. On May 29th, they robbed and strangled two Georgia women, Althea Otavio, 43 and patricia hewitt 25 who were visiting jacksonville to start to celebrate a birthday you know when they killed them on may 29th you know what song what was on the radio what? the number one song in the billboard charts was this one now this is traveling man ricky nelson traveling man yep 
On May 29th, this became, during that murder, as that murder was happening, Yeah. this became the number one song. It makes the song creepy sounding. Yeah, picture a murder happening. While it's playing on the radio. The guy who wrote this, Jerry Fuller, he wrote this with Sam Cooke in mind, but Cooke's manager was unimpressed and didn't keep the demo. Why do all these 60s songs remind me of that X-Files with the inbred, inbred oh, family? Yeah. It's because they had that convertible car and they played some song and it was sounded just like these songs. I can't remember which one it was. I don't know either, but this made it this made it down to Ricky Nelson and he's accompanied on this recording by the vocal quartet, the Jordan Airs. Okay. You know them? No. Anyway, this that that's Traveling Man by Ricky Nelson. That became number I one. I like that one. That same day. So um, a week later, they raced back across the country, now armed with a 38 Colt and a 22. It says EIG. Do you know what kind of gun that is? A, a Colt EIG? E, is it AIG? I don't know. EIG. I don't know what it is. Let's uh, find out. In a cold-blooded spree, not knocking the handle. It's a Navy model revolver. Okay, there we go. But I, during this, during that week that passed between that murder and this, yeah, um, Mark Curry was born, who played uh, ha- uh, the guy on Hanging with Mr. Cooper. Oh Jesus! <laughs> I'm glad we know that now. Birthdays. He was born. All right. The only thing so, that um, on June 6, they fired shots at a man in South Carolina while trying to steal his Cadillac. They missed though. The next day, they got a new ride when they shot and killed John Whitlaker in Tennessee. Oh, no. They killed another guy? Yep. On June 8th, they dumped their, that car in western Illinois and hitched a ride in Albert Reed's red Dodge Dart. At the same time that My Three Sons was on, when Mike plans an easy summer with a job with the Forestry Service, he plans on watching the trees and enjoying himself, but he finds it's not an easy job when a fire starts and his boss is stranded and not able to help. That's right. They killed Reed, 58, then murdered an Illinois gas jockey, Martin Drenovac, 69. Nobody's ever called a gas jockey anymore. I know. I know. Well, we don't have them. Well, there's no such thing. Nobody pumps your gas for you. I think there's still places in little towns that they pump your gas. Maybe. Gas jockey. Little old ladies. Those are called filling stations. Yes. York and Latham barreled across Missouri and into Kansas on Highway 40. Isn't pronounced Missouri? Yes, where they lured Ziegler into their trap on June 9th, 20 miles from the Colorado border. Oh, they didn't get Ziegler until June 9th? Yep. Oh, I thought he was earlier. I thought he was the one on May 24th. No, they... Otto Ziegler? They, um, they hurt him, but they didn't kill him. Oh. Nearly killed him. Oh, but they... So they still have him. So they rob him, and then he says, I'll see you boys are, got, you are gotten for this. Yeah. You said the wrong thing, York replied. Now, you son of a bitch, we're going to have to kill you. So York shot Ziggler three times. Latham added two redundant shots. Oh, no. So then, again, they raced Westford on 40 So in now the Dodge. Otto Ziggler's murder. Yes. Pausing in Craig, Colorado the next day to molest and murder a teenage motel maid, Rachel Moyer. Gross. After five murders in five days and seven in less than two weeks, yeah. the unhinged binge ended quietly on June 10th. The unhinged binge ended quietly on, on June, June 10th, 10th the same a, day. Yep, at a roadblock. That's the same day that on Leave It to Beaver on ABC, Beaver gets into trouble when his friend Gilbert convinces him to test fly a new kite that he and Ward worked hard to build for the Father and Son Kite Day contest. Meanwhile... Eddie Haskell gets sentenced to prison for 10 years for Grand Theft Auto and starts a prison riot when he stabs a guy through the tongue with a rusty screwdriver. No, you're making stuff up. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Did not which, happen. Which part is, uh, which part I is true? I know which part. Yes, which part is true. All right. <laughs> you're ridiculous. Um, 
I don't even know where I am now. Just something I want to try out. After five, it's a new bit. I'm okay, so they there's a roadblock. Okay, there's a roadblock on June 10th. Yeah, a bunch of lawmen there. They didn't bother to take their pistols out of their glove box. Yeah, why would you? A clutch of investigators sat down to record the soldier's story, hoping for some rational explanation of their homicidal lunacy. There what? was none. I hate the world, Lathan said. Yeah? It didn't seem to bother them one way or the other, W.H. Terrell, a Colorado sheriff, told the press. All right. I mean, no more than what you'd think about going out and shooting a rabbit. They talked as if they might have robbed a peanut machine, says another cop. There wasn't any remorse. A third added, they joked about the death penalty. One said the other, one said to the other he'd have to go first to that hot seat, and the other said, no, we'll both go together. They were likely to die for their crimes, but how? They faced electrocution in Florida, Tennessee, or Illinois, and the gas chamber in Colorado. But Kansas, where hanging was still the mode, got the first crack for the murder of Otto Ziegler. Oh, so they hung him? Yep, so... State psychiatrists judged the pair as passive aggressives who blamed the world for their failures. They said York was a paranoid schizophrenic. I don't think they're passive aggressive at all. They're pretty aggressive. Yeah, I know. That's this kind of There's the, no passive in murdering and shooting people. Right. My grandma is passive aggressive. Right. She is very <laughs> These guys. They're aggressive. <laughs> they're aggressive aggressive. They said aggressive, York aggressive. was a paranoid sociopath, while the aloof Lathan was a schizoid sociopath. Oh, is that aloof guy again? But the shrinks agreed they were legally sane, and the pair stood trial side by side in Russell, Kansas in 1962. Now, shrink is not a... Isn't that a slur? I don't know. Defense attorneys hoped to save their lives with an insanity argument, but it didn't pass the horse sense test for a rural Kansas jury. Rural. I know. Sorry. York and Lathan were convicted and sentenced to the gallows. During a, then they had an appeal. They spent two and a half years on death row at Lansing Prison in Kansas. Yeah. Um, and they called the the guys around them called them killers. Call them Dick Hickok and Perry Smith of In Cold Blood fame. Okay. Author Truman Capote gave the ex-soldiers a cameo in his book as handsome, affable nihilists. So really? in his book Cold Blood, they were they were in there. Okay. He quoted Latham. It's a rotten world. There's no answer to it but meanness. That's all anybody understands, meanness. Burn down the man's barn, he'll understand that. Poison his dog, kill him. So um, Hickok and Perry from In Cold Blood were hanged on April 14th, 1965. Oh, that's the same day that on Beverly Hillbillies, with the arrival of spring, the Countess returns for Granny's new batch of spring tonic. Granny thinks she's looking for a new husband and that Jed is her perfect match, so they film a porno. No. <laughs> You stop doing that. <laughs> You're pretty good at that. Sorry. You like that? Yeah, that's pretty funny. Well, maybe they did. I'm, so I'm York and Latham were hanged then um, on June 22nd. Oh, June 22nd, 1965? Yes. That's the same day that the only thing on TV that I could find was Hollywood Talent Scouts. It was a TV show starring, uh, hosted by Art Linkletter. Yeah. And uh, Hollywood celebrities brought unknown talent into the studio to make their television debut. A few oh. future stars actually made debuts on that show. Uh, Tom and Dick Smothers introduced a comic by the name of Pat Paulson. Mm -hmm. Paulson became a star and a regular on the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. Other future stars appear in the show, including aspiring comics Gary Marshall, uh, comic Gary Marshall, and... Uh, Actor Bob Crane introduced a young singer by the name of Marilyn McCoo on that show. I can't think of anything except for porno when I think of Bob Crane. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like now <laughs> I'm just like, totally ruined. He introduced Marilyn McCoo and he was just having a of sex and yeah. murdering and whatever. 
getting murdered, yeah. beaten with a tripod. Or getting murdered, yeah, doing those crazy porn. Pornos. Yeah, that's I nuts. can't think of anything but that when I like anything with Hogan's Heroes or uh, Bob Crane. That's crazy. Yep. Is that it? That's all you got. Um, yeah they their trap the the trap door dropped for Latham at twelve oh four a.m. York followed thirty nine minutes later. Wow. So that's that's the story of. Um, you, you ever see a live hanging? Uh no. You want? I think it's. Uh, I just. I think it's weird to. To think about that. That wasn't that long ago. That was a long time ago. But I mean, it, but to, for hanging, like I, when I think of hangings, I think of like the eighteen hundreds. Sixty one wasn't. Th- to see, I mean, it, it seems like such an after, ancient thing. It was only forty years after the eighteen hundreds. Wait. <laughs> what? It's only 60. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense at all what you just said. 60 years after the... So anyway, their names were George York and James Latham. Those were the names of those Jason two guys. Jason Statham? No, James Latham. Well, and then so just to catch up... So you up can where see we why were, I had to have another little short story, because that yeah, one wasn't very good. Yeah, you had to have the two good. stories together. And so I we'll apologize just, if that one was a snooze fest. Well... I mean, it was just a spree killing, so... It was just a just a little spree killing. Just a little just bit a of little murder. Spree. Just a little sprinkle of murder on top of our podcast episode. Right. Uh, and we're in June, so we'll just finish up the month. And will be done. And, I'll, yeah, I'll go back and try to catch up where we were. We're, we jumped around in June, but we did get Ricky Nelson. Uh, oh, I, I can't remember. Did we cover the birth of Mark Curry, the star of Hanging yes. with Mr. Cooper? Did we mention that enough? Yes. Okay. Uh, you, you remember the special episode of Hanging with Mr. Cooper? Keep moving. I don't want to hang with you no more. Okay. Saturday, June 3rd, 1961, there was a very significant uh, case. Um, do you know You know now that, uh, that if a criminal defendant can't afford to hire a lawyer? Oh, the Miranda. Yeah, what do we do? We, we provide one at no yes. cost, right? Right. This is the case on Saturday, June 3rd, 1961, that made that... Uh, a thing. a thing because it was it was Gideon versus Wainwright. Clarence Gideon was a poor drifter accused in Florida State Court of felony theft. On June 3rd, 1961, uh, he stole $5 in change and a few bottles of beer and soda from the pool room, a pool hall and beer, beer bar that belonged to Ira Strickland Jr. Mm-hmm. Strickland also alleged that $50 was taken from the jukebox. Henry Cook, a 22-year-old resident who lived nearby, told the police that he had seen Gideon walk out of the bar with a bottle of wine and his pockets filled with coins and then get into a cab. Gideon was later arrested arrested in a tavern. Being too poor to pay for counsel, Gideon was forced to defend himself at his trial after being denied a lawyer by the trial judge. So this drunken drifter had to defend himself. And this was probably common. Yeah. Yeah. on August 4th, 1961, Gideon was convicted of breaking and entering with intent to commit petty larceny. And on August 25th, Judge McCrary gave Gideon the maximum sentence, five years in prison. So then while incarcerated, Gideon studied the American legal system. He concluded that Judge McCrary had violated his constitutional right to counsel under the Sixth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, applicable to the state of Florida through the Due Process Clause of the 14th Good for him. United States Constitution. Yeah. He then wrote to an FBI office in Florida and then to the Florida Supreme Court, but was denied help. In January of 62, he mailed a five-page petition uh, to the Supreme Court of the United States, asking the nine justices to consider his complaint. The Supreme Court, in reply, agreed to hear his appeal. Wow. 
That was a shot in the dark. Yeah, and his case resulted in the landmark U.S. Supreme Court decision, Gideon versus Wainwright, holding that a criminal defendant who cannot afford to hire a lawyer must be provided one at no cost. Perfect. Yeah. That's good. The public defender was born. Yeah, and so later he, when his case was retried with a lawyer, he was, he was acquitted. Cause, probably because they were like, oh, we better leave him alone now. Yeah, no, he did all this. He changed mm-hmm. the world. And then on Monday, June 5th, 1961, Roy Orbison takes over the number one spot on the Billboard chart. See if you know this one. It's called Running Scared. (laughs) I don't think I know this one. This is noted for being a song written without a chorus. Oh, so it's just a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, the song builds in lyrics, arrangement, and vocals to a climax that, without vibrato, demonstrates the power of Orbison's clear, full voice. It's written in the bolero style. God, it's awful. It's like he's doing an Elvis impersonation, Roy Orbison, all the time. Yeah. So it's just this the whole time. There's no chorus. I mean, it says that would just scared. That would just drive me nuts not to have a chorus or a hook. Just say it the whole time. And I guess there's a little bit of an interlude there. Yeah, that's, that's pretty bad. Word. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's that's all I'll say about that. Good. And then on Monday, June 19th, 1961, Roy Orbison gets knocked over, knocked off, knocked over, knocked off the Billboard charts mm-hmm. by Pat Boone. Oh, boy. Oops. God, Pat Boone's terrible. Yes. This is awful. This was the title track of one of Boone's better-selling albums. Boone sang the song as if he were in pain. Moody River. I don't know if he sounds like he's in pain. what wikipedia says okay oh well so i don't know it so at i all. was picturing him singing like on the god the river no i don't yeah, think that's what they meant stop my fucking toe. you know something like that if he's in pain anyway it was written by and originally performed by country rockabilly singer chase webster real name gary daniel bruce not to be confused with gary bruce of the knack all right who cares and then Wednesday, June 21st, 1961, mm-hmm. the third highest grossing film comes out, The Guns of Navarone. Yeah. Are you familiar? Nope. Uh, Gregory Peck, David Niven, Anthony Quinn. That's quite a star-studded crew there. A British team is sent to cross-occupied Greek territory and destroy the massive German gun emplacement. That commands a key sea channel. It sounds boring. Directed by J. Lee Thompson. Many viewers incorrectly assumed that Gregory Peck's character was supposed to be an American. 
because his British accent was so shitty. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think he just refused to do one. Oh, really? Yeah. Gregory Peck often said he was disappointed that so many viewers had missed how anti-war this movie was intended to be. Peck was a lifelong pacifist who strongly opposed U.S. involvement in the Korean and Vietnam Wars. He was so good in To Kill a Mockingbird. Yep. There was reportedly much tension between many of the stars, particularly Gregory Peck and Anthony Quinn, early in the film's production, but the cast gradually bonded over endless games of chess. Oh. And Twister. Naked Twister. Naked, mustard-covered Twister. Yep. And then on Monday, June 26, 1961... We got another number one song by a man named Gary U.S. Bonds. Never heard of that. Me neither. The song is called Quarter Quarter to Three. It's kind of a shitty recording. Yeah, there's something about that. So the guy recorded this, he said he meant for it to sound like this. That it was real old, like like real far sound, away or something? It shitty. There's been books written, such as those of the series Rock On, the illustrated encyclopedia of rock and roll by Norm N. Knight, mm-hmm. that have stated that this record was recorded accidentally, that no one knew the tape recorder was on at a session. Oh, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like, yeah. They're just fucking around. Yeah, they just didn't mean to do it, yeah. It's a good song. Yeah, it is kind of a good song. Dion DiMucci stated that this was the inspiration for his hit, Run Around Sue. Yeah, I can hear that. You can hear it. Yeah. Actually, I would say it's a ripoff of kind of... Yeah, I could hear it. Yeah, it is a good song. Mm-hmm. But all the recordings of it are this are the same kind of shitty, shitty. Like grainy. And That's whatever. funny. Yeah. So far, this is my favorite 60s song. All right. What's the name of it again? Quarter to Three. Oh, okay. I danced at a quarter to three. Okay, let's move okay. on. Anyway, that's a good song. Yeah. Uh, Gary U.S. Bonds. And I looked up why his name was that, and they were really, they were hoping people would get him confused with uh, uh, U.S. Bonds. That you buy? Yeah. War Bonds? And then just uh, buy his albums. Wednesday, June 28, <laughs> 1961, uh, William Castle directed 1961's Homicidal, designed with a 45-second fright break near the climax of the film, where scared patrons could walk out and receive a refund from a cardboard booth called Coward's Corner. Jeez. Yes. I think That's they, funny. They need that now in horror movies. The brutal stabbing murder of a justice of the peace sparks an investigation of dark family secrets in a sleepy small town in Southern California. That's You've never movie. heard of that movie. Yeah, the movie Homicidal. They actually put in a fright break. That's pretty funny. It was directed by William Castle... Uh, starring Glenn Corbett, Patricia Breslin, and Eugene Leontovich. 
Hmm. And then on Wednesday, June 28, 1960, oh, that same day, sorry, uh, Fanny, a love triangle between a young woman, a rich 60-something man, and an aspiring sailor set in early 20th century Marseille, directed by Joshua Logan, starring Leslie Carone, Maurice Chevalier, and Charles Boyer. Audrey Hepburn turned down the title role. I think that was nominated for a... Oh, an Oscar. Is that why we're talking about it? It's probably why we're talking about it. The other one, I think, is just because it had Fright Break. And that's that brings us to the end of June and the end of, of the 1961. Episode. And that's all the time we have, yes. uh, ladies and gentlemen. I know you wanted more, but they always say, leave them wanting more. That's what they say. Instead of leaving them pissed off and saying, God, shut the hell up. I think we're doing pretty bad at that, actually. Fuck you guys, yeah. American Timelines assholes. You know, every podcast has to have a downtime. Well, we were like going good for a while, great episodes, great stuff. And, you know, sometimes we have terrible episodes. And this one's going to suck, but. No, this is a great episode and a shitty one. All rolled into one. Great and shitty. Well, you great shitty. You kind of you mailed your part in. Well, I had to. I, uh, I really did search and search, and I could mm, not find anything. I don't think our listeners believe you. Oh, my God. You, you, know, you couldn't help me. You couldn't find anything either. Well, you could have done that story of that guy who ended up having representing himself and changed the U.S. Supreme Court. That would have been a good story. I didn't know about it. Uh, All right. Well, that mother-in-law song was good. <laughs> it's true. I'm playing that. Uh, uh, that's a pretty awesome. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Okay, here comes. I'm going to oh, request boy. that at the next wedding I go to. <laughs> you should. <laughs> Ruin oh, that would be great. Relationships. Yeah. It's time, it's time to get out of here, oh, Chuck Oh, yeah, Barry. Chuck Berry's in the bathroom. We record this from a bathroom at a gas station. And here, come, here he comes looking. And I love all the listeners more than a friend. And we love you. Please rate, review, subscribe. That was a kiss. And that was a kiss. this is gross, is what it was. I was kissing the listeners. Gag. All the listeners have wanted a little. Just a little. Stop. Quit doing that. Just That's disgusting. <laughs> Quit sticking your tongue out. I, you actually stuck your tongue out. I was licking the microphone. You were. That was for me, that was my benefit because. All right, we gotta go. Take it away, Matt Truman. Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.